0: First Peter, first, uh, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, our one rescue. And by the way, thank you uh, for loving those girls uh, this summer, uh, for taking care of them, the, your extreme generosity there with the, the gifts. Uh, that, was, uh, that was wonderful. Thank you for your love for me and uh, my family and for your support, and I appreciate those. Uh, kind words from from Amy, Uh, again, trying to make me cry. This is the fifth message of our That's My Jesus series, knowing the one we worship. And this morning it is our one rescue. So we've had our one, uh, I'm not going to remember now, our one rescue. King, our one priest, our one sacrifice, our one example, and now our one rescue. This this passage in in Peter uh, is actually Peter's third Christological passage. Now I, I I told you last week what Christology was. Ology, a study of Christ, is Christ. Uh, christ is is christ, so I mean it 's pretty easy christology this, this this is the third one he 's got two other passages that i 've listed there where he kind of dives deep for a few verses on who Jesus is and that 's really what this entire series has been about and will continue to be about next week it 's a six weeks six week Christological study, but if i 'd put it that way y 'all might not have come so uh I, we, we don't use that word until I get you in here and you're a, a trapped audience. This particular passage, though, looking at Christ, studying Christ, this Christological emphasis, is one on the, the rescuing power of the resurrection and the ascension, but he doesn't leave off the, the crucifixion. He covers that too. But the emphasis is on emphasis is on the resurrection and ascension, what he has done in that and he he puts this in here in the midst of a discussion about unjust suffering of the believer it really he hits home hard with it in verse 13 as he gets into verse 18 but the the whole book has that sort the whole letter has that sort of theme to it the unjust suffering of the believer and and his intent with the broader passage and even with this passage as an example is that we can suffer unjustly and we will suffer unjustly that's one of his points but we can do that we can take this unjust suffering because Christ suffered unjustly he gives us the ability to defeat sin and the suffering that results from it And ultimately, he will rescue us from our suffering. That's the promise of this passage. That's what we're going to look at this morning and hopefully what we will have internalized by the time we leave today. Now, this is a difficult passage to understand. As a matter of fact, none other than Martin Luther himself, the father of the Reformation, uh, a biblical scholar with very few equals, he said this about this passage. I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. I still don't know. So there are one one commentator I read said that just one little phrase at the end of uh, verse eighteen. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The way that is worded, and, and, and in this passage, it's not just the topics that are difficult, those are, it's the word usage, it is the grammar, it is, it's all of it. It's just a difficult passage. One uh, theologian said that there are some 180 different ways to construct and to interpret that one little phrase put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit so that tells you the difficulty of this passage when it gets down to the the nitty-gritty details but the beauty of the passage is if we pull back a little bit and we take the passage strictly as it is read I think we can we can find a a simple explanation if he, even if we can't understand exactly how Peter is making the point all right but we're going to talk about some of that we're not going to get into all of it this morning but we will talk about some of it first Peter 3 18 through 22 oh and, and it works again we got a new computer in here so our our fancy little scripture works for Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God he was put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in it a few that is eight people were saved through water baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Now, already, just reading that passage, there, you, there are a lot of questions. He, he proclaimed to spirits, what? He, 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 he talked to Noah's people, what? Baptism saves us, what? Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to get into all that. Um, just bear with us. But let's, let's talk about the easy part first. Verse 18, at least the first part of verse 18. We, he is our one rescue, right? That's the title of the message. It was the theme of the music this morning. Our rescue, our one rescue. What is Jesus rescuing us from? Well, there are only three real points to this passage All, again, in the context of unjust suffering and working and living through that unjust suffering. But the first thing, the the first reality that Jesus rescues us from is the punishment of sin. He is our one rescue from the punishment of sin. Verse 18 says that. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. As much as is there, the point is, we are no longer punished for our sin. We can back up just a little bit, and this this passage will talk about and and reinforce some things that we've already talked about. As a matter of fact, this passage has some overtones of the 1st Timothy passage 1st Timothy 3 14 through 16 that we looked at last week it's a a very similar structure and 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 takes the uh, a similar approach to Christology this look at Jesus but we see that Jesus by suffering he suffered that through his death he is our example he is our example to take suffering when suffering comes. As a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. He was given opportunity after opportunity to defend himself, and he didn't take it. Even on the cross, they knew he could have called however many people, however many angels, rather, he needed in order to come off the cross, and he didn't do it. Through his death, he is our example. For Christ also suffered for sins. Through his death, he is our our sacrifice he was the sacrifice for sinfulness he was the lamb who uh, the, the blood the life that God required for uh, sinfulness through his death he is our substitute It's not just sins themselves but it is for us for the unrighteous it says well guess who that is you and me it was a substitutionary death through his death he is our substitute and then he continues Peter does that he might bring you to God through his death he is our advocate through his death he has done what we should have done but then when he gets to the other side of it he brings us to God does not condemn us because of it and then we get to that passage that 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 phrase that Offers so much difficulty. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And the questions abound on what that really means. Is, is it mean flesh killed him like humans killed him, and spirit brought him back to life like God brought him back to life? Or is it something else? Well, there are, again, a number of, of interpretations, and honestly, how this phrase gets interpreted depends greatly on how you interpret the next two verses or the next three verses actually 19 20 and 21 it all goes together rather than get into all the weeds on that and there are a lot of weeds let me tell you we're going to look at what is most obviously the case most obviously to those who study it is, and that is that Peter is talking about two different realms, two different spheres. We've used that; I've used that word a lot over the years. Uh, the, the the earthly sphere and the, the godly sphere, the the realms, or sometimes we use human economy and God's economy. We talk about it in different ways. But what we see here is that He, Jesus, was put to death in the flesh. He was killed in the, and I put it in quotes, the flesh realm. And that would be in the realm of human limitations, suffering, and death. It's it's not just symbolic, but it is also symbolic. He was killed in his flesh. His flesh died. I mean, that's that's the way it worked. He was 100% dead. Wasn't mostly dead. He was all the way dead. But not just was his flesh killed, but it was within the realm of his humanness and and the fallenness, though he was sinless, it was in the realm of fallen human nature that he died. With all of those limitations and the, the suffering and the death that we experience. It wasn't, if I could explain it a little bit differently, it wasn't a glamorized death. It wasn't uh, um, sanitized. It wasn't... It, it, nobody on the ground that day was going, well, isn't this wonderful? This is beautiful. Look how he's dying for everybody. That's not what they were doing. It was not in that sort of realm, that, that spiritual realm that he died. It was in the dirty, gritty, awful, evil human realm that fleshly realm that he died the the realm of sinfulness when we talk about flesh that's generally what we're talking about is is sinfulness and we'll see it again uh, uh, a little bit later that same idea but then if he was killed in that realm if he was put to death in that realm, it was within the spiritual realm, the realm of the spirit that he was raised. Again, he, he was human when he was raised. It was his body that came out. He wasn't just a, a, a spirit when he came out. said, look, touch my hands and my, my side. Here, I'm eating fish. Nom, 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 nom. That's good. I, a spirit can't do that. I'm a body. He was real. He was human. There was no, it, there was no camera trick or anything like that. So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is in the, the, the realm, the arena of the spiritual, he was raised. It was humanity that killed him. It was sinfulness and flesh and human limitations and suffering and death. But then when he was raised, it was in the spirit, in the realm of power and vindication and new life. It was very real. It was very much those two realms, but it was also Jesus The Father saying, the flesh is defeated and therefore the punishment that we deserve for our sin is also defeated. He was killed in his flesh, in the flesh, in the fleshly realm. He was raised to life in the spiritual realm. And again, not to create too much of a division between the two because they, they blend, they overlap. Most obviously when the second person of the Trinity became flesh for us and dwelt among us. But still, we, 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 we see those things differently. We see God's hand working both places. We see that as awful as this was, God was at work. And as beautiful as this is, Up here, God is at work. We are rescued. He is our one rescue from the punishment of sin. He suffered sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And to make it clear, he died in his flesh, died in the realm of flesh, and was raised to life in the realm of the Spirit. But it's not just the punishment of sin from which we are rescued. It is also from the practice of sin. And here we really get to the meat of what Peter is saying in this passage. Because this points back to the previous paragraph where Peter is talking about unjust suffering. He he says in, in verse 13... Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that, you are not, uh, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Basically, Peter is saying if you suffer for doing evil, oh, that's kind of the way it goes, right? I mean, that that makes sense that you would. But if you suffer for doing good and you will, then take heart. But then the question is, How do I make sure that I'm not doing the evil? How do I make sure that that when I suffer, I'm suffering for good and not for evil? Well, if you're not doing the evil. Well, how does that work, preacher man? How do I not do the evil? Well, that's what Peter is getting to in verses 19 through 21. When he says we are rescued from the practice of sin. The, the, The raising of Jesus... so. Right? We, we've got, uh, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This is our transition to verse 19. The raising of Jesus means something for the one who suffers. Jesus was raised. He's alive in the Spirit. He has died the righteous for the unrighteous. He has brought you to God. You see, You see where you are, believer? You see your position? You see what sphere you're in, no longer the human sphere of sin and human limitation, suffering and death, but now you are in the spiritual sphere, the spiritual realm of power of vindication and new life. So, Jesus died so that, and was raised, so that when you suffer, you can know you're suffering for good because sin is no longer your habit. How do you know you're suffering for good? Because you didn't sin. I mean, that seems obvious, but but that's how simple it is. You didn't sin. And, and, and we all know, I mean, we all know, when we suffer for something that, it, that, that was sin. I mean, I, I deserve that. That was, yeah. you, you know. But you also know when, like Job, I didn't do anything. I did not do anything to Uh, to get this suffering brought on me. Interesting that we come to this passage. I, I just thought about, we spent four weeks, six weeks, whatever it was, in Job looking at someone who suffered for nothing he did. And now we come to this passage that talks about that very thing. So how does this passage, if sin is no longer our habit and we're not suffering for sin, how does this passage show us Our rescue from the practice of sin, especially with all this talk of proclamation to spirits in prison and Noah and baptism. Well, Jesus's victory was proclaimed to the most uh, consolidated and concentrated evil in the Bible. It says, "In made alive by the Spirit," in which didn't mean he went in spirit; it meant in the realm of the Spirit in this case likely the Holy Spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who were in the past who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited for the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared What in the world is he talking about well let's just kinda take it piece by piece and and I'm gonna tell you as what I believe is the best interpretation, and then at the end tell you what isn't the best uh, interpretation. The the spirits in prison that he's talking about, what Peter is trying to get the people to see, is that Jesus' victory was proclaimed to that which caused the destruction of the whole earth. If we're talking about Noah and we go back to Genesis 6 two, the beginning of the end for the flood, you have the, the sons of God getting with the sons of uh, the, the daughters of man and some sort of something being born. There are all kinds of interpretations of what that means, but just straight reading the Bible there says d- demons got with women And made weird things. All right, that's the simplest interpretation of it. And that in turn led to the growing wickedness of the earth, such that God had to destroy it all. Now, Peter is saying that Jesus' resurrection and his uh, going and making proclamation to the spirits in prison. Not dead people, but apparently those spirits, those sons of God that Genesis 6-2 talks about, was showing them, showing us primarily, that there is no evil that has occurred that escapes Jesus' saving work. Now, this isn't proclamation that was saving proclamation. Angels, demons, don't get to have faith and come back to God through Jesus. It doesn't work that way. But Peter is using a very specific uh, instance of evil in history to say Jesus' victory is even bigger than that. We talked about his victory last week, and when we looked at 1 Timothy uh, 3, 14 through 16, we talked about that. Now, okay, then the question is, Peter, why in the world did you do this? Well that's actually kind of interesting historically. The area of Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today, had a a near infatuation with Noah. As a matter of fact, there was a town in the region that had the word ark in its name. And it became, it wasn't Mount Ararat that the Bible says it landed on. It was some other town near some other mountain. And tradition in that area said Noah's ark landed there. Now understand, these are These are pagan people. These are Gentiles. These aren't Jews. But they had this tradition of Noah, even thousands of years, tens of thousands, however long it's been, after it happened, with no Jewish influence. It was just this story. There are uh, at least, I think, four or five different flood accounts in ancient Near East history. Epic of Gilgamesh might be one that somewhere in the past you've heard of that is a Babylonian account of a flood. So the point there is there was clearly a flood that happened because many, many different cultures talked about it. But only one used it as redemption, as an opportunity for salvation and not just mere revenge of whatever God the story was about. So here in Asia Minor, they had this infatuation with Noah. They knew the story. They passed it down. It wasn't the biblical story exactly, but it was this history. It was similar to if, if as an example, we are not a, uh, a Hindu society generally. We would be, at, at the very least, Christian sometimes, but, but that's kind of the overarching theme of our society yet we will talk about karma and we all know what we mean by karma that's not a biblical concept but we know what it means we know what it is even if we haven't studied it even if we're not Hindu at all never studied the Hindu faith we know karma well same thing in this society Uh, they weren't followers of of Yahweh they didn't have scripture but they knew about Noah they knew about this flood and the ark it was just a story that was around But then you have in the apocryphal books of the Bible, books that that we don't include as primarily as uh, uh, Protestants, um, there's a book of first Enoch. Enoch is the guy who was Noah's great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, something like that, who lived for 300 years, the Bible says, and then was not. And Hebrews says, by faith he was taken up. He didn't didn't die because of his great faith. Well, there's a book that showed up at some point that said, hey, this was written by Enoch. It wasn't. But in that book, it talks about what Genesis 6-2 means and what happened to everybody that was involved. I mean, there's this whole extended story of how those demons were put in prison and, and all these other things that happened. And that book was very popular in Judaism and in some even pagan cultures at this time. Okay, we're still in the weeds, I know. But but I need to tell you that so that you understand. Peter is using a, a an example here that we don't get 2,000 years later because our culture is not what he was writing to. We have to understand, what is it you were told, Etta, the... Uh, their town and our town, their city, our city. When we read scripture, the first thing we have to understand is, what did they hear? When Peter was writing to them, why did he say the things he said? So we look first at their situation, and their situation was, Noah was a big deal, and the stories from the book of Enoch had gotten around. So Peter is using those stories though that culture to teach them something he's using that knowledge that they had and that story to show Jesus's power over evil and sin is that the best story for us to use probably not would peter have written the same story used the same example if he had written this letter to us probably not y'all this is called contextualization of the gospel it's something very similar to what Paul did when he was in Athens and he sat at the uh, in the uh, agora marketplace at, at Mars Hill uh, and said I think right Am I getting my stories right and said I see that you are very religious as a matter of fact I see you have a statue to an unknown God let me tell you about the God that you worship in ignorance He's this God, he's the creator of everything. And he goes on, he contextualized. Peter said, to paraphrase, I see that y'all are big on Noah. And you know all about the stuff about Noah. And oh, the spirits in prison, yes. Let me tell you about the one who had victory over the most concentrated evil in history. That caused the very flood that you are so amazed about. That's what Peter is doing. What he is not saying jesus did is that he went to hell and preached to dead people that's that's not what he's saying and this passage is used at times to reinforce purgatory but that's not what it is this passage now moving on a little bit is also often used to say that baptism saves you that you have to have faith and baptism well let's move on paul or rather peter says you know, he patiently, God patiently waited. I'm in verse 20. God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, he says. The point Paul, uh, Peter is making is that that which destroyed also saved water. It was destruction and judgment for those who didn't believe, though God had waited patiently for them to. And it was salvation for those who did, the eight in the ark. The same water was both judgment and salvation. The cross, Jesus, is both judgment and salvation. It is judgment because if you don't believe, you go to hell. But it is salvation if you, because if you believe, you go to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. It is Jesus saying, here's the line of demarcation. It is me. It is the cross. God's judgment of sin is both saving and destroying. And then that is seen here in this rescue from the practice of sin. Peter gives a lot of detail. To make one point, your baptism doesn't remove immorality. He brings all of this up to say Jesus is victorious over evil, and you know how the ark was on the water, and the water was salvation and judgment, and you've been baptized as believers. You know how that all happened, believers? Your baptism, because this is where he was going with it, your baptism doesn't remove immorality you don't wash off when you're baptized you don't wash off like it's the removal of dirt from the body as a matter of fact what it said what baptism says is you are pledging to live right because sin is defeated your baptism is you saying yes I believe in Jesus yes my sins are forgiven yes I have trusted him for my salvation and yes I am going to take on this act of obedience, my first obedience in Christ, and I'm going to remember that moment when suffering or sin comes around. Ed and I have been talking, as you can imagine, the last couple of weeks about five years here and and all that has gone on in those five years, where we've been, where we are. We've talked about how, in, 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 well, first of all, I've never been at one church this long. Nixon was the closest, but I passed that up about a month ago as far as time is concerned, uh, or maybe even two months ago. We've never been in one place this long, and we've certainly never gotten this late in a ministry and not been thinking okay I wonder what's next wonder where the Lord's gonna put us next wonder what God's gonna do and there's not a next as far as we're concerned there's no thought to what's next cuz there is no next next is retirement and that's only if I can afford it so I'm not gonna retire I'll have to die in the pulpit and 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 hope Oh, there's enough money in the account to to let her make it. Except we're going to both die at the same time. I'm going to be 108 she's 107. But we we talked about that before. But in all of these conversations, and we were taught this when we were church planters, when we were taken through our church planting assessment and training, they told us there will be days, weeks, months. You don't want to do it anymore. And you will believe God has left you. And you will believe that nothing is going right and everything is going wrong and you are a complete moron and there's no reason why you should be doing this. And get out, get out, get out. And the one thing that you have to go back to every time is the call. The call. The calling on your life. So through various hardships of the last five years, at various times, I have had to, and even in the last couple of days, even with the most recent Facebook post this morning, it's the call to this church. I'm called here, and I'm not called away, and whatever comes, I am called here. I go back to the calling. That is a Microcosm, that's one little piece of the greater walk of the believer. No matter the suffering, Peter says, no matter the sin that so attempts to entangle and ensnare you, no matter what comes, go back to your baptism. Not because it saved you like it just washed your immorality off, but because it was such a monumental, momentous event in your life where you said, I am following Jesus. I am buried with Him in death, put to death in the flesh, and I am made alive by the Spirit, raised to walk in the newness of life. So when life gets hard, go back to your baptism. When sin seeks to overcome, go back to your baptism. Baptism does not save you, but it reminds you that you are saved through Jesus. Saved through suffering. He is our one rescue then from the power of sin. Our rescue from the punishment of sin, our rescue from the practice of sin, and our rescue from the power of sin of sin verse 22 who has gone Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels authorities and powers subject to him in this Christological series that we've been going through the last few weeks we've talked about Jesus's victory we've talked about him being at the right hand of God and what that means we've even talked about him having angels authorities and powers and principalities and all those things under his feet But Peter wants to make sure that the people he's writing to get it as well. And God saw fit to make sure it was in our scripture multiple times so that we got it hammered into our thick skulls. Or maybe I'm the only one with a thick skull. But his ascension puts over and above all evil power, including the power of sin in your life. I think I left out a word. Now I'm trying to figure out what word I left out. him. His ascension puts him over and above all evil power. Yeah, that, that makes more sense. Capital H-I-M, Jesus. His ascension puts Jesus over and above all evil power, and that includes the power of sin in your life. He has already told him, Peter has, that he is victorious over the most evil, uh, the, the most concentrated what part of evil that has ever been in the world up to that point, and I would still say, since Jesus has not or God has not seen fit to destroy the world again, that was still the most concentrated evil that has ever been. He 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 proclaimed victory there, and now he proclaims victory here and, and, and in the future and, and the the past sin he's victorious over, and the future and current sin he is victorious over he sits at God's right hand with angels demons authorities powers spirits as it says in verse 19 all under his feet and if all of those things are under his feet all the evil that can be imagined all the suffering or or all the all the sin all the uh, 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 the the degradation all the all the, the ickiness, if we want to use, you know, second grade words, all that, if all of that is under Jesus' feet, you know what else is? The sin that so easily entangles you. You don't have to practice sin because sin has no power. It's all under Jesus' feet. His ascension assured that. His, his, his resurrection showed his power over death and sin. See, he has no power over me then his ascension said now I'm gonna rule over it I defeated it coming out of the grave and now it's gonna be under me as I take the right hand of the Father and if Jesus's victory over sin if Jesus has victory over sin he also has victory over suffering again it's, it's almost levels angels principalities powers Authorities means that sin is under his feet as well, which means your suffering is under his sin. Even suffering for doing good. And Jesus' victory over that is certain. And his victory may not be now for you. That's what Peter's trying to say to these people too. You may not experience that victory now, but you will experience that victory Peter writes this letter to a a small group of believers surrounded by the unrighteous. He uses Noah as an example, a small group of believers surrounded by the unrighteous. And persecuted unjustly, mocked, belittled, ridiculed for their faith. And that small group of believers can be a good witness. Good witnesses through their obedience and knowledge of judgment that will both save and destroy, just like the floodwaters that both saved and destroyed. But with patience, patience that God has, that others will be saved along with them. Let me read that statement one more time. And read it as encouragement to us. A small group of believers surrounded by the unrighteous and persecuted... A small group of believers surrounded by the unrighteous and persecuted unjustly can be good witnesses through their obedience and knowledge of judgment that will both save and destroy but with patience that others will be saved along with them. You know the beauty of our suffering for doing good? Is that others will see our good works and rejoice in them. They will see our examples of following in faith, even as we suffer unjustly. And if we are patient, as God was patient for those who might come around but didn't, in the time before the blood, the flood. If we are patient, others will see our suffering. They will see our faith. And by grace, through faith, and through much prayer, they will be saved along with us. How are you saved? You're saved by admitting that you're a sinner, that you are the evil that, that, that he's talking about here, that you are disobedient, that you are, in the words of Scripture, an enemy of God. There is a division between us and God, and that division is sin. But we believe that Jesus, who, who suffered for sins for the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, can bring us to God by His death, burial, and resurrection. In His ascension to the right hand of the Father, He makes advocacy for us. If we believe Jesus is who he says he is, we will be saved. And then we choose to make Jesus our Savior. And we follow in obedience in baptism, marking that decision and it being our call to which we refer when sin comes, and suffering bears down, and we look back and we say, I can, I can take this because I know who I am in him. I was buried with him in death. And I have been raised to walk in the newness of life. You can experience that salvation and that baptism. if You'll just follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have provided comfort when we suffer. Thank you that you provided Jesus who is our rescue from the punishment of sin, the practice of sin, and the power of sin. Thank you that Peter, by your Holy Spirit, had the wisdom to reach out to a group of people and look around and know what they saw and what was part of their culture and said, I see that you're big on these things. Let me tell you how much better... Jesus is than what you're looking at. And that he still has the power through scripture, even in obscure passages, to reach to us and say, let me tell you why Jesus is better, why Jesus is stronger, why Jesus is victorious over evil and your suffering, why you can be confident Look back to your call. Look back to your salvation. Look back to the moment when you said, Jesus is my Savior. And know that you can overcome sin and you can endure the suffering. And by your suffering, reach people for Jesus. God, thank you that that Scripture still calls us to that. I pray this morning for believers who are suffering for their faith unjustly, that they will bear it in humility and love and patience in order that others may come to Christ. And I pray this morning for someone who has not trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they would make that decision today to follow in obedience and baptism, not because baptism saves them or washes away our immorality, but because it clenches for them that moment when they trusted Jesus and they have that hook to hang their hat on I trusted Jesus not as an outward act not as something that's going to save them just because they did it because but because there's that moment when they followed in obedience and yep in that case today I can still follow in obedience because Jesus is my savior that's my Jesus in whose name we pray if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and, and you're in here this morning and you'd like to talk, talk to somebody, Tom and some of our deacons will be at the back they'd love to talk to you. Maybe you uh, are a believer and you need to unload some suffering it's, just, it's gotten to be a lot and you're tired of it being a lot and you don't know why and you just need to spend a few moments with the Lord He is our rescue it's the next song we're singing just, the title is simply Rescue He is our rescue from sin, and ultimately, that's everybody's problem. So let's spend a few minutes worshiping him, asking him to be our rescue as he works on our hearts. Let's stand and sing do business with him this morning.